0: Before we get started let me pray and we're going to talk about tonight explain expound upon the word now or right now or bring our faith into the present tense the Bible speaks quite a bit about today is the day of salvation oh now is the accepted time actually that's all we have is today and now. When we get to tomorrow, it'll be Thursday, but it'll still be now. And uh, Dad Hagen said years ago, he said the Lord showed him that if today and now is God's time, that's his accepted time, then we must use that as our accepted time. Because uh, uh, waiting, you can just wait and wait and wait. You can wait t- two years, ten years, and after 12 years, you can still be waiting. So passively waiting never brings anything into the now. Amen? Let me ask you this question. I said I was going to pray, but I'm already started. I've been praying all day. That ought to be enough, I guess, don't you think? (laughs) Uh, Let me ask you this question. Since we're talking about today and now, uh, just think for a moment. I don't know who it is. You probably don't know who who it is either. God would know. Let's just say the worst sinner in uh, Appomattox County, let's just say whoever that is, the worst one that lives in Appomattox County, mean, honorary, no good, low down, you know, committed every sin you can think of. Could they get saved today? Huh? Could they get saved now? Would they have to be in a church? They could get saved in their car, pick up a truck, couldn't they? If, if they had some knowledge that the salvation is for them now, today, now, they could get saved now. I remember when I got saved, I, I wasn't on my knees no more than 45 seconds. And I got up. I was born again. Something happened. Just in 45 seconds of time, praying with uh, four other Christians is already born again, Bab- three of them baptized in the Holy Ghost, and uh, I was with them, staying with my sister for a few weeks in South Carolina in 1962. Her husband was in the Air Force, and she was saved, he was saved, and they had a couple uh, that was in at the Air Force base. They were both saved. The, gr- the lady was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but the men was still seeking, tarrying as we did back in those days. So, they would come to each other's house. They'd come over to my sister's house and before they'd leave, they'd always say, let's have a word of prayer. Well, it wasn't a word. Sometimes it was 30 minutes to 45, they'd pray. And I'd just sit, you know, till they got through. I wasn't saved. And uh, so this particular night, we was at their house. They, was at, they had a little trailer. The Air Force Base was just about to close down in spring of 63, and this was November of 62. And so all the you know troops and so on was getting ready to be sent somewhere else, and he had a little trailer that he lived in, just a little small thing. It wasn't even as long as from here to the wall, and uh, pick, pulled by a pickup truck, you know. So uh, we were at their place, and uh, it was about midnight, and they sang and played music. My brother-in-law played a guitar. My sister was a great singer. And this couple, he played a guitar, and they were good singers. So I sang all my life, you know, just as a kid up. So i jump in, help them sing songs, and, uh, you know, do that much. And so they got ready to go. We got ready to go back to my sister's home, and uh, they said, let's pray before we go. And I'm sitting at the door, right beside the door in a straight back chair, holding the little girl that they had, about two years old, so... Uh, her mother could kneel and pray. I just had her up on my knee. And uh, so they're praying, and I guess they prayed a couple of minutes, and my brother-in-law's closest to me, as his brother Green is here, on his knees, and he just turned around and looked at me from, from his position on his knees, turned around and looked at me inside the door like that, said, Doug, don't you want to pray? Ain't it time you give your heart to the Lord, something like that? And I said, yes, sir, I can't go no further. He knew I'd been under conviction for two weeks. I thought I had it hid, but uh, you know, they could tell. And uh, so the, the, they got up, she, uh, the mother wrenched and got the little girl off my knee and I knelt down and 45 seconds, I was back up on my feet, born again, saved, new creature in Christ. The first thing I noticed was one of the fruit of the spirit. There's nine manifestations of the fruit of the reborn spirit. It happened to, to my spirit. And the first one I noticed was the love of God came in me. And of course, that is the first one on the list in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 22. Love, joy, peace. Those are the first three. And those three benefit the recipient of them at the time of the new birth. Love, joy, and peace benefit you and me the moment we're born again and of course the rest of our life. Then the second three as long-suffering, goodness, and gentleness, those are going to benefit people we're around, family members, church members, workplace, if we walk in those, right? Long-suffering, goodness, and kindness is going to benefit everybody around us. And the last three is going to benefit our Heavenly Father if we walk in them. Faithfulness, temperance, meekness, Self-control, temperance and self-control, same word. Faithful, meekness and self-control is going to benefit our Father if we live that way. Is that right? Three for me and you individually every day of our life. Three for people around us. And three that benefits God. Hallelujah. You ever heard it that way before? Uh, so uh, I got up and I knew that the love of God was in me. And I thought about a boy I went to school with. And uh, he, he was kind of a bully, and I was a little bit afraid of him. I didn't like him. He didn't like me. He would bully around, and I had a shoulder that would come out of place just if you uh, didn't watch what you was doing. My left shoulder would come out of place a lot, just slip right out of the rotary cuff playing basketball or whatever. Well, he didn't know that, but I knew it, and I thought if I get entangling with him and this shoulder comes out of place, he'd beat, me, beat the pudding out of me, sure enough. <laughs> and uh, so that's one reason I didn't want to tingle with him. But one morning in the gym, uh, we would go to the gym, you know, for a class start. Kids sitting in the bleachers and some out on the basketball floor shooting basketball, you know. So uh, I was out there with those boys just shooting basketball, and he was out there. And he got a rebound and threw throw it to me. He didn't need to throw it to me. you just go shoot, both shoot himself. But he threw it hard, hit me hard with the ball, you know. So I went after him. And uh, I was a pretty good wrestler. I couldn't box worth a nickel, but I was a good wrestler. And I, 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 I gave him the old Ric Flair Souflex. I did. I thought he'd slap over my head on a hardwood floor, and it shocked him, it surprised him. Kind of surprised me, because he was a little heavier than me, but uh, I, I, that's what I did. I, I give him the Rick Ric Flair suplex as they call it. Wham hit that floor. Well, he kind of left me alone after that. because I guess it surprised me. So when I got up off my knees, I thought of him. That was the person I despised the most till I was born again. See what I mean? But when I got up, I thought of him. I didn't say anything to the other four of couples there. Two of them not to know who it was. No way. My sister did. She went to school with me. She wouldn't know who he was. And I said in my heart, my heart, my heart just spoke to me. If he was standing here with these other four people, I could hug his neck and tell him I loved him. Mm-hmm. No way. Before I knelt down there, could I've done that? Yes, sir. No way. Wouldn't have wanted to even seen him cross the street, let alone hug his neck. But that happened. That love, that new birth, the God kind of love came into me. And of course, it's been there all along. Can you say amen? amen. Have I walked in it real perfectly? No, not, uh, not as good as some. I remember one day I was complaining to myself about not walking in love as good as... Uh, Dad Hagin was famous for walking in love. People think of him as a great faith giant, but his daughters when she, when he passed away, she testified and said, people always refer to my dad as a faith giant, the modern day Abraham of faith. And of course he was. She said, but as I grew up, I knew my dad as a man of love. And Brother Green, if he hadn't have been a man of love, he couldn't have been a man of faith. Because faith worketh by love. So I was talking to myself one day about how opportunities had presented themselves and I didn't use the love of God as good as I could have, should have. thinking about how good Dad Hagen was at it. So I'm really feeling bad about myself, you know. And, uh, of course, the devil, you know, he, he helps me. So he said, lay that little hammer down you pounding on your head with and take this big sledgehammer. You are a sorry excuse for a Christian. You never have walked in love very good. You know how the devil would do. So I'm, I'm thinking this way. And the Holy Spirit... Dealt with me inside. Said, uh, I know your heart. I've seen where you fail. I've seen where you pass test. He said, uh, the Holy Spirit said to me, nobody makes straight A's, not even Billy Graham. Come on. Come on. Said that to me. Say, the only man ever walked on this earth that made straight A's was Jesus. And he did it as a man. Amen. And then the second guy that probably influenced Christianity more than anybody else was Paul the Apostle. And then we find out in, uh, uh, as a deacon, just, uh, oh, six years after Pentecost, the church had grown so much they had to select some deacons. So they told them, said, look out among you in the congregation of the believers and p- pick out seven good men full of the Holy Ghost, full of good report among the people, honest, and uh, the love of God and faith and all of those things that require you to uh, just stand in the office of a deacon. And so Stephen was one, and Philip was one, and there was four more. You remember that? And the Bible said that Stephen worked miracles among the people as he served them daily, I guess that we would say today, meals on wheels. And Philip and Stephen would go into homes, people would be sick or something, and God would use him, he'd pray for him. he'd give them a little faith message, and the Bible said he worked miracles as a deacon. Well... Uh, Stephen, brother, and so, sh- and and in seventh chapter of the Book of Acts, he preached a message to the religious people of that day and told them how they crucified Jesus and so on and so forth. I mean, you, you remember that long sermon he preached in the seventh chapter of the Book of Acts? Well, they killed him for it and uh, stoned him. And he why he while they were stoning him, he asked the Lord to forgive them, lay not to sin against their charge. So that took the love of God, didn't it? <laughs> and somebody, uh, I heard this testimony not too long ago, somebody went to heaven in, in out-of-the-body experience and had an experience, you know, going to heaven, seeing some of the saints, and they saw Stephen. And they asked him, said, uh, what was that like? You've been stoned to death. And, you, of course, you know the Bible said he fell asleep. And he said, I never felt the first stone. I never felt them, not one of them. Before the stones hit him, his spirit had left his body and they were just throwing at a dead body that they had buried in the ground. They would bury you up so far waist up and stone you that, that way because the rest of your body is on, on the ground. So uh, he said, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. So I've always said, Lord, I can, that same kind of love is in me. But I, I'm, not, I'm sure not saying I've I got it developed where Stephen did. But we can. How many believe you can? How many believe you can develop your faith where you can face your giants down like David did? How many believe you can develop your joy and dance all over the place like David did? Because all of these spiritual forces are in you when you got born again. And as I said, the first one I noticed was the love of God. Hallelujah. So back to right now, that wicked, that most sinful person in the county can get saved right now. If he was in here, we give an altar call. He'd come up, be forgiven, cleansed right now. Well, what about the person that's got the worst sick condition in their body in Appomattox County? Could they get healed right now? Or wouldn't they have to do some waiting? You know, Jesus, this is, this is a beautiful story. You know the story well. Uh, four men brought a friend of theirs that had palsy to a house where Jesus was preaching. And they got there late. And the house was full of people. And they couldn't get in. Couldn't get in the doors. Couldn't get in. No way. Back door, kitchen door, front door, nowhere. And they looked up and got upon the house. You know the story. And they let the man down through the roof on his little pallet that they brought him on. And they letting him down, you know, and he's laying on that thing. And they finally reached the floor, and Jesus is standing over there preaching. And Jesus said to him, uh, son or man, or whatever how have you dressed him, thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, wait a minute, he didn't come about sin. He came about the palsy, he wasn't healed. Nothing was said about sin, you know. And Jesus said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the scribes and Pharisees sitting in the house, you know, they begin to reason in their heart. They didn't say anything, bunch of cowards. (laughs) They wouldn't say anything out loud, but they reasoned in their heart. And Jesus said, why would you reason in your heart that I said to this man, thy sins be forgiven thee? He said, which is easier to say? Well, you have to go a little further and say, which is easier to receive? Because Jesus said first, thy sins be forgiven thee. Which is easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to rise, take up your bed, and walk. Which is easier to say? One is just as easy to say as the other, isn't it? And so one would be just as easy to receive as the other, wouldn't it? So when he left there, he left with his sins forgiven and his body healed. And he didn't even come in there with the sin issue on his mind. But Jesus knew that that needed to be dealt with. Glory to God. So which is easier for this wicked, terrible, sinful man that we describe to get forgiveness of his sins and cleansed here tonight or the person that has the worst condition in their physical body to get healed here tonight if they were here in this room? Which would be easier? One is just as easy as the other. Both of them was taken care of by the same, same sacrifice. Can you say amen? amen? But see, we don't look at it like that. We look like it, at it like, well, sin's are easy to forgive. How many has ever had to be forgiven of something you did you ought not done after you got saved? How many in here? Raise your hand, you're guilty as we are. <laughs> Everybody's guilty. Sorry, Hannah. That was a beautiful song you sung in, in, anyway. But anybody in here, everybody in here has had to ask God to forgive you of doing something you ought to have not done. Is that right? And did he do it? Did, you, did he cleanse you? Well, how long was it before you felt good about it? Might have been a half a day before you got all that old nasty feeling off of you, but he forgave you the moment you asked. Is that right? Uh, Brother Copeland tells a good story. I'll tell it best I can. Many, many years ago when his ministry was beginning and small, hold this, baby, and take care of it for me. He was in a tent meeting somewhere, and he had a song leader sing for him before he come to preach. And they had morning services, night services. And Brother Copeland had done something. He didn't say what. I guess it was his mouth because he used to have mouth problems. He said, like most of us had. And he probably said something he ought not have said. And he's out behind the tent, and the, the guy's singing for him, and Brother Copeland's got to go in and preach just in a few minutes. And he don't want to do it because he has repented over what he did, but he just don't want to go up there and preach because he still feels like a dog for what he did. And uh, so he said uh, to, to the Lord, I'm just going to let my song leader preach. I'm just going to tell him, go ahead and after you sang, go ahead and bring the morning message. I'm not going up there. And the Lord spoke back to Brother Copeland and said, why ain't you going up there? He said, because I just don't feel like I can go up there and minister after what I've done, what I did. And uh, the Lord said, when you repented of it, it wasn't when I found out about it. I knew you did it. I knew you would do it. In fact, I knew you'd do it yesterday before the day I got here. How I many knows the Lord knows if you're going to mess up before you do? But He's already made provision to fix it for you. And He said, I didn't I didn't find out about it when you repented, Kenneth. I've already forgiven you. And he said, You already cleansed. And Brother Copeland said, he said, now get your feelings under subjection and go in there do what you're called to do. He said, I brought my feelings under subjection and I went in there and preached like a wild man. (laughs) Hallelujah. So God forgives and cleanses and God heals and delivers. And to him, one is just as easy as the other. But we don't look at it that way. We look, like, look at it like, yeah, I can be forgiven. I, I got mad. I did something wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I've repented. I believe God's forgiven me. And, and then when it comes to healing, you think, well, how long do I have to wait? How much do I have to pray? How much do I have to confess? Uh, you know, I ain't been that good of a Christian, so I uh, can really do it. Or You know how, how the devil goes. Is that Right. Like Dad Hagen again, we tell a lot of his stories. He said, after he was healed, raised from the deathbed, out on the road preaching, he said all the symptoms came back to him that he had on that deathbed. The heart, deformed heart that he was born with. He described it like this he said, it shook, fluttered in his ch- chest, you know, like a, an old A model uh, with his fenders a- flapping coming down the street. You know, of course, he was born in 1917 and he got healed. Uh, August 8, 1934. So uh, he, he's way back there. He's talking about an A-model car. Uh, t- t- they had a T-model and an A-model back then. He said, my heart fluttered and jumped and jerked and flopped and flipped, just like fenders on an old A-model car coming down the street, you know, just to flop. And he said, I'm preaching, holding meetings, standing in the parsonage of the pastor where I'm preaching, and all these symptoms came on me in the middle of the night, woke me up at 1 in the morning. And I said, I was in severe pain. Uh, alarming the symptoms. The devil began to talk to him immediately. You're not going to get healed this time. Yes, you know what the doctor said. They said this could come back on you. And you know they said there was no cure. And in, in, in fact the blood condition that you had, that'll come back on you too. You'll go back into that paralyzed body like he lived for 16 months. And all those thoughts are coming to him. Well, you know, the, uh, if, you, if you're not strong in faith and don't know what you're doing, you'll call 911. Your heart's hurting terribly. You'll get the pastor up and call 911. Is that right? That's normally what people would do. And he said, I just pulled up the cover over my face and started laughing. He said, no, I didn't feel like laughing. No, 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 I didn't feel like laughing. I pulled the cover up and made myself laugh. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. And finally, the devil said, Who, who, who are you laughing at? Something laughing at you. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? He said, You said I wasn't going to get my healing this time. That's right. That's right. They'll find you dead in bed. You won't get it this time. You know you're dying. You've been there before. And the brother Hagen went back to laughing again. Made himself life. he said. And, uh, of course, after a while, the, spirit, uh, the, the devil, you know, the evil spirits, thought, thoughts came back to him. Why are you laughing? Who are you laughing? I'm laughing at you. You said I wasn't going to get it. That's right. You're not gonna. He said, I'm not even trying to get it. I don't even have to get it. It's already been God. I have it. These symptoms, I, I know these symptoms are here, but I have my healing. <laughs> And he said, if you don't want to stay and hear me praise God for my healing, just pack up your duds and leave. And he said, the devil left, and this little while, every symptom left him. Amen. But, it's, you know, the Bible said after Jesus defeated him in the wilderness, the devil, with all those temptations, he defeated him with the word of God. And the Bible said the devil left him for a season. That means he came back later. He left him for a season. We don't know if that's three months or what it was, but he left him for a season. So on down the road, Dad Hagin's out holding the meeting, and these symptoms come back again a number of years later. And he said, I dealt with them two or three days. And, uh, you know, praying, believing, going to preach, not saying anything. It'd be nighttime. I actually went to bed when they were the worst. And he said, one night I, dream- I had a dream. I dreamed that me and another preacher were together, and I thought we was crossing something like a ball field or a playground or a fireground, or something of that nature. And he said we were walking together and going across this uh, place, and he said all of a sudden we heard a, a, a noise behind us, looked back, and two big lines was coming down on us, two big ferocious lines. You could see their fangs. And he said, the preacher broke out to run, and I, I did too. And he said, I realized we can't make it to the other side and get, out of, get over the fence and get away from them. It's too far. And he said, I stopped. Just stopped, turned around, and faced them. And I knew I couldn't outrun them. said, I just turned around and faced them and stood in faith. He said, they came right up to my feet and sniffed around at my ankles like little puppies would do or kittens. And just sniffed around at my feet and ankles and then frolicked off. said, as soon as that happened, I woke up. And I knew that I had the victory that I had been fighting for three days. So when I woke up, I said, that's it, that's it, I've got it, that's it. He said, every symptom left. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, Pastor told us about how he fought the fight of faith about this place in his head. And we've heard the uh, testimonies that he's had, how he fought the fight of faith about kidney stones. I think the last thing he had, uh, is a week or so more that he was dealing with it. And the doctor told him, he said, if, it ain't, if you don't pass that by Tuesday, he said, we're going to get it Wednesday our way. So the pastor was believing that he'd, he'd be taken care of, and he called us over to the house. And So on Tuesday, sometime on Tuesday, he passed that stone. Didn't have to go to the doctor on Wednesday for them to take care of so we got a faith example right in the pulpit of of how to follow is that right our precious pastor i see in him something more uh, now than i saw in him two weeks ago actually made that testimony and he he'll he'll lead us further and further on into the walk of faith the life of faith and we'll begin to have testimonies in here that'll be amazing hallelujah yeah, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So by saying all of that, I want to, Brother Green to read this for us. And I'll jump in and comment anywhere, Brother Green. You just hold your place uh, when I jump in.
1: All right. The Lord would say to this, my people, your praise and your worship comes before me as a sweet-smelling savor. Savior. <clears throat> your heart toward me turned in my direction. Your ear leaned in to hear what I would say.
0: Now, that's at, at, we qualify. Our heart turned toward Him in His direction. Our ear leaned in to hear what He's got to say. We want to know what God's got to say for us individually, don't we? And I know our hearts are turned to Him. Why would we come out here on a hot Wednesday night uh, to hear me preach if we weren't sincere about it? If you weren't sincere about your seeking God, and uh, I wasn't sincere about uh, the whole thing. Why would we be out here? We're not out here to play games. This is real. Amen. I can truly say, I believe with my whole heart, all the honesty I know, that I'm more hungry for God today than I've ever been. Amen. And it seems like that I've always been hungry for God since I got saved. But uh, I, I know more now. And uh, so I'm hungry for an encounter with God that where I cry out to God like Wigglesworth of old, and I say, empty of me and fill with thee. Now look what kind of culture we're living in today. If we, if we don't get empty of ourselves and our own mindsets and things like this and filled with Christ, we can't change this culture because it's going to take the supernatural Christ-like life and the supernatural Christ-like ministry, and the supernatural Christ-like anointing to change this, this culture. Did you see what happened in Joel Osteen's service a week or so ago? How many saw that? People right down front, right in his face, took off their clothes. And he didn't know what to do. You could tell he didn't know what to do. He was caught off guard. Is that right? So I've been praying... That, that that episode will wake him up, so to speak, right. where he will know what to do the next time. And I said to myself, no way in the world they could have done that in A.A. A. Allen's tent. No way in the world they could, could pull that off. I don't believe they could pull it off in this church. Huh? And they... they, they <laughs> my goodness, my goodness. Hallelujah. But you know how... You, <laughs> hallelujah praise the lord so you have to deal with things i remember one time we was in a tent meeting and there was a man there and i guess it was his wife she looked more like dolly parton uh, she looked she really looked good and he had an old beard and he had a staff and he had on Roman-type clothes like you would think that Elijah would wear in his day. And he, he was right up front in the tent, big tent. I'm on the platform, you know, he's right down there where he's at. And uh, he says to the preacher, the preacher's preaching, he said, Prophesy like Elijah, brother. And the, and the preacher said, Be quiet. Hold your peace. Something to that effect, you know. Because the preacher kept preaching. And a little bit later he said it again, hollered out again. Prophesy like Elijah. Come on. And the preacher asked him to be quiet again. And so a little bit later he did it the third time. Well, by the time he did it the third time, the preacher said to him, You want to prophesy Elijah like Elijah? Get your tent. This is my crowd. You can't draw a crowd. You had to come here and try to bar my crowd to get your saying over with. So now shut your mouth. And the tent guys got him by the arm and took him outside the tent, back of the tent, you know. And so I got off the platform to see what they'd do. I said, they took him behind the tent. I don't know if they, I don't know if they're going to handle him I don't know what they're going to do. And so I got off the back of the platform, stepped back there, see what they do. And they told him, said, we'll let you go back in there if you'll behave yourself and act like a gentleman. Keep your mouth shut. But if you're not, you're not going back under there. So now, what's your choice? And so the lady spoke up. And uh, I don't know if it was his wife. He, he looked a lot older than her. Uh, you know, people like that. This could have been his concubine. Could, could have been his girlfriend. You see what I'm saying? People do crazy things. And so she began to speak up. She said, uh, you all don't know who you got a hold of. Said, that this is one of the two witnesses. You know, in the book of Revelation, you know, those two witnesses are going to come back. Said, this is one of those two witnesses that you've got to hold up. And the tent guys looked at her and said, we don't know who he is, but we sure do know who he ain't. <laughs> That's what they said. And they said, now, leave or go back. You want to go back? You can go back. If you don't leave. So they left. They went to, to find their car in the parking lot. So I thought I'd go see if Elijah had a chariot, see what he's got, you know. And I kind of followed it at a distance, about right from here to the kitchen, a little further back, to see what, what was happening. And uh, they got in the black Lincoln town car. <laughs> so Elijah had a Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when some knothead comes in to hijack a service? Well, you use your authority in the name of Jesus and you use your ushers. Can you say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So back to changing the culture, this culture that we're facing today. If, if we don't stand up to them, then they're going to come to us and, and try to hijack our church services and show off what they can do. Can you say amen? So we need to let them know before they get here they're not going to be able to pull that off. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. So back to this prophetic word.
1: Your heart toward me turned in my direction. Your ear leaned in to hear what I would say. Will not be disappointed. No, we're not
0: going to be disappointed if we properly seek for it. Listen to it. Turn our hearts toward it.
1: For I speak unto you from my word, and I tell you of my great and glorious plans. He's going to tell us his great and glorious plans. Here's some of them. Listen to this.
0: Go ahead, Brother Green.
1: And I have spoken of breakthroughs. I have spoken of outpouring. I have spoken of favor, and I have spoken of blessings. Now, what did he say
0: he spoke of? I've spoken of breakthroughs, Breakthroughs. plural, outpouring, blessings, and favor. He spoke that out of his word, of course, 2,000 years ago. It's always been there. But he spoke it by his spirit to us in this room. Is that right? So what else?
1: And I remind you that it is time to receive.
0: It's time to receive. You see, it's not just waiting passively. It's time to receive this. All right, go ahead. Don't look ahead and say it's coming. It's Uh, coming. uh, It's coming. Now, we've made mistakes there. I have. We've made mistakes and said it's coming. That's a great move of God coming. But the Holy Spirit said, don't say that. Don't say it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Yes, it is coming and there's more to come with it. But it's here now. Because remember now, today and now is God's time. Is that right? right. So we're not waiting on him. He's actually waiting on us to step in and take hold. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So that's what Dad Hagin said. If, If now and today is God's accepted time, then we have to have that as our accepted time or we're behind time, Brother Nick.
1: All right, Brother Green, go ahead. Yes, more is coming, but you have blessings right now to receive. Right now. Things to grasp with your faith, to take hold and begin to rejoice before me as if you saw every manifestation already there.
0: What did he say? What did he say there? Take hold and rejoice as if you saw every manifestation already in place. Did you hear that? Take hold and grasp with your faith and rejoice as if you saw or felt every manifestation already in place. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8 says this, Yet believing ye rejoice, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving. Notice that. Yet believing ye rejoice, receiving. What's first? Believing. What's second? Rejoice. What's third? Receiving. So Brother Mark Hankin says it this way. Joy is the bridge between believing and receiving. A bridge, you know, one end to the other end. Believing on this end, receiving on this, uh, the other end. But in the middle, there's got to be a lot of rejoicing that I'm receiving what I'm believing. <laughs> Instead of sitting around passively waiting, it's mine now. So, if you learn to bring your faith into the now, you can have it now because I always work
1: in the now, saith God. Hallelujah. Now. All right, Brother Green, go ahead. Rejoice before me as if you saw every manifestation already there, as if the figures were there on the records. Yeah,
0: the figures were in your checkbook, the numbers that you need. It was already there.
1: As if your body was already free of all the pain or all the distress. Yeah,
0: what did Brother Hagin do? He laid there and laughed. His body, his body was suffering. He was in deep pain. But he laid there and laughed and rejoiced because he knew he already had something. And see, the devil was trying to tell him, you're not going to get it. Well, you don't have to get it. Jesus got it for us. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. You don't have to get something that you have. Listen to this word that God gave us way back in August uh, the 15th, 2018. Here's the way it goes. I can quote it. This is, this is not it. This is not it. This is another on August the ninth, 2015. I can almost quote that one, most of it. But here's what God, the Lord said to us August the 15th, 2018. He started off like this. For waiting in my presence is a good thing, says the Lord. Waiting for instruction, waiting to know the certainty and the purpose of my will. That's a good thing. Just to wait and fellowship. Just to wait and allow me to move in you, form some things, and change some things that need to be done inside you. See, that's spiritual, that's ministerial. That's your walk with God. Those are good things. But the second paragraph starts out like this. But know this. Know this, saith the Lord. You don't have to wait on things that I've already bought and paid for. They are yours. What has he already bought and paid for? Everything that he's already bought and paid for, it is ours now. You don't have to wait on things that I've already bought and paid for. They are yours. So begin to confess that you have them now and don't look to the future. Is that right? Don't look to the future. Begin to confess that you have them now. For now is the, today is the day, and now is the accepted time. And as you declare, See, you confess that you have it, and then you begin to declare that you have it. As you declare, and as you expect, and as you praise, and as you render thanksgiving, as sacrifices, they come before me. And as I accept them, my glory and my anointing will come upon you, and I will fulfill my word. So quit talking about how it's going to be. You hear me? Quit talking, this is the prophetic word. Quit talking about how it's going to be and declare now what you have now and what I am doing now. What is he doing now? Pouring out favor, pouring out blessings, pouring out uh, outpourings, shaking the church. Glory to God. Quit talking about it for you in the work of redemption. So take it by faith and begin to rejoice for it. For I will work among you, saith the Lord, a great and mighty work, and you shall see my hand, and great shall be the rejoicing of it. That's a prophecy. (laughs) August the 15th, 2018. Glory to God. You notice how many times it said now? Yeah, but I just believe that God's going to do it in his own good way, in his own good time. Well, we done told you what his good time is. It's today and now. Is that right? Hallelujah. One more story and then we'll go. I, I ain't covering half the ground, Regina. I wanted to cover but I told my testimony again. Maybe some n- never heard it before. How that I got up since the love of God, and uh, you see, if you go back further, uh, you go back to when I was born in the flesh, March the 15th, 1942. It was a blizzard that week. They tell me in West Virginia where I was born. Snow blowing sideways, ground froze solid. Poor mom and dad lived in an old log house up a holler. West Virginia, you couldn't even get a car all the way to the log house, cabin, uh, house right where they lived. My oldest brother the only one that had a car. He lived there in the county as well and he could get maybe within a mile of their house or half a mile, whatever it was. And they would have to bring my mama a, uh, with a horse and a sled that we haul corn and potatoes in down to his car to get put her in the car and take her to a doctor before I was born. And so they did that two or three times within two weeks before I was born. And the doctor told Daddy the last time she was in there with me, she had a fever. Some days she didn't know if it was Tuesday or Saturday, had high, running high fever She said that her stomach here where the navel cord, you know, to me, was green and blue, looked like a horse had kicked her, she said, bruised blood. I don't know why. They didn't know why. And so the doctor told daddy, said, uh, we're going to have to take this baby to save the mother or we've got a good possibility of losing both. Most likely the baby will be born dead anyway. And uh, he took Daddy out from the x-ray room, you know, where, we, where Mama was laying. Didn't intend for her to hear it, but God wanted her to hear it, and she heard it. She heard what the doctor said to the Dad. And she'd been saved two years, so she prayed the best she knew how from the inside. Oh, God, don't let my baby be born dead, because that's what the doctor was telling and uh, she cried out to God best she could. Daddy's still talking to the doctor. And she said, just a peace came over. Just came all over. A deep peace. And said, so the Holy Spirit spoke to her down in here like he tries to talk to all of us. That's where he talks to you, down in here. And she said, uh, these words came to me. Don't worry about the baby. He's a saved child. He. No ultrasound back in 1942. He knew I'd be a boy. But I wasn't saved then. I wasn't saved there in the womb. But God calls those things which be not as though they were. So he knew I would be saved, and he's telling Mama he's a saved child. So I was born on the 15th, and the doc- at the nighttime, my sisters tell me, and the doctor stayed all night to take care of Mama. She's in bad shape. Just laid me aside because he didn't think I'd live no way. And the next morning, he goes Uh, You know, daylight come, and Mama's doing fairly well, and he tries to look at me and see if he can figure out if I'm going to make it or not. So he didn't even make a birth certificate, didn't even bother. He might live 40 days out, and he might die in the morning. You know, he ain't going to make it. But I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So he knew I would be saved four months before I was 21 years old in that little trailer. He knew I would be saved. He knew I would preach. He knew I wanted to preach when I was 12 and 13. But I didn't tell nobody. I was ashamed to ask uh, preachers, you know, can I be saved? Can I be a preacher? It just didn't make no sense to me that I could. So I hid. But when i get away from the house, Mom would send me to the garden, get some cabbage, get some onions. And while I'm out there, I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to think of Something to say. Uh, I I could quote John eleven forty five. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. <laughs> I didn't know much. But see, God was telling Mama. He's calling those things which would be not as though they were. Don't worry about the baby. He's a saved child. And I was a big baby. Mama said I was almost ten pound. And I lived. And so, I'm here to do, to, tonight. Because how, how Mama prayed. And then she you know, prayed for me the rest of my life, the rest of her life until she went home to be with the Lord. She bought me the first suit I ever preached in. I guess she knew I'd be a preacher when I was little, but she never said much about it. And I was 30 years old before she ever told me the story that I told you. I didn't even know that story until I was 30 years old. And uh, so uh, I, was, I was saved, called to preach. Didn't see how in the world I could do it. Working in a cotton mill and taking care of my two children, wife and two children, walking to work. Didn't have no car. Tears in my eyes, big enough that I couldn't hardly really see the sidewalk. And I was thinking that cotton mill was my prison. Of course, it wasn't. It was a lifesaver. That's the only thing I could do. I couldn't pass the physical to work on machines so I was the cleaned up guy in the cotton mill and uh, worked a number of years so I'm walking to work, walking to cotton mill knowing that I'm called to preach and can't figure out how in the world I'm going to do it in 1972, I'd been saved 10 years got saved November 62 1972 two men came to Greenville where I live, Greenville, South Carolina to hold a meeting, one one week and one the second week one of them would preach the first week and he'd go. The other would come in, follow, and he'd preach a week. So I'm there in the meeting. It's an old skating rink, a roller skate, you know, f- floor. So that they'd rent it for this meeting. I'm sitting there in the meeting, and, and the first preacher one night he points to me. I had on a black suit and a red tie, had a lot of blonde hair back then, like Porter Wagner in the 60s, <laughs> plenty of long, wavy hair. And uh, he s- pointed to me and said, Stand up. And I stood up, and he said, God's fixing to change your life. He's fixing to put you where you, he knows that you already, a uh, place that he already had for you. And some more things, you know, encouraged me, and I sat back down. His meeting was over, and the, the other preacher came in. And uh, so I'm sitting basically in the same place, working in a cotton mill, going to the, this meeting. And he looks at me one night, And he points at me. I guess I had on the same suit. Didn't have many. (laughs) Maybe two. And he points and said, young man, come down here. The other just told me to stand up. He said, come down here. I went down. Stood before him. He was a prophet of God. And he said, "Uh, I got a friend, a preacher friend, preachers in tents, and said he's looking for a man to work for him. They called the front man back then to do like you do, start the service, and lead all the singing, make the announcements. And I was good at that in those days. And he said he's looking for a man uh, to work with him and said, you're the man that he's looking for. See, this other guy said a week ago, said, your life's fixing to change. Ten years ago, I knew I was called to preach in 62. Shortly after I say. And he said, I'll contact him, and he'll contact you. Well, uh, so it so happened in July that I left the cotton mill and had me a meeting up in Wilmington, North Carolina in the National Guard Armory, <laughs> And I'm up there preaching and my brother calls me from Greenville, South Carolina and he said uh, Brother J.T. Simmons is here with his tent. He's going to start Sunday evening first service, 2 o'clock. He wants you on the platform, take care of the service for him. I said, well I, I wasn't going to close here until Sunday. He said uh, don't forget that prophecy. I said, Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I said, Come get me then Friday night. I'll close Friday night, and we'll go home Saturday morning. So he come, got me in Wilmington, and uh, went out to the tent Sunday evening. And I went behind the tent, and his son was there. His oldest son was with him. He said, "Are you Doug Cooper?" I said, "Yes, sir." <laughs> he said, uh, "My dad's out there in the woods praying." I said, "Yeah, I can hear him." He said, uh, "At two o'clock, said Steph, they already had an organ player playing on the platform, and they were good." said, step on the platform at 2 o'clock, start service. You know what to do. You can do this. And uh, said, you heard my dad come back here, uh, just uh, sing one more song, and introduce J.T. Simmons as the evening, uh, afternoon speaker. I said, okay. So I sung a couple of songs, you know, and a while I heard Brother Simmons back there praying. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. You know, I recognize he's back there. I said, we'll we'll sing one more song and introduce even the speaker, after the speaker. So I sung one more song, and Brother Simmel stepped through the curtains on the back of the tent. First time I ever laid eyes on him. First time he ever laid eyes on me. I reached him the microphone. He started preaching wide open. He never told a joke in all the years I knew him. He wore a suit and a tie every day of his life whether it was Tuesday before we'd start a meeting on Wednesday, or whether we'd come home from Mississippi and I'd stay an extra day with him before I'd catch a bus out of Montgomery and back to South Carolina, wore a suit and tie every day of his life. Never told a joke the whole time I knew, knew him. So serious, so, such a powerful tent preacher. And he'd been preaching about 10 minutes. And a uh, uh, lady from out in the parking lot, way out yonder, you can hear her crying coming our way towards the tent. And she's just crying and screaming. You think somebody's broke her arm or she's, uh, uh, you know, had a car wreck. She's trying to get in there for help. I don't know what's wrong with her. She's kept coming to the tent. So she came to the back, came right on down the aisle, just straight on down the aisle screaming like she's burnt uh, uh, with fire or something. It was a hideous scream, not a good scream. And she ran right up to the platform right here. And uh, Brother Sim jumped off the platform and met her right there, stopped her on the one-yard line. and uh, he was straddled over casting the devil out of her just like that in the snap of your finger and um, maybe a minute goes by and I'm on the platform in a chair nobody up there but me he told me stay on the platform I thought turned the service to him and he looks back up on the platform and then most of me come down there I got down there beside him knelt down on the ground and she's she smells terrible she's drunk as skunk as we say you know whiskey all over beer and she just smells terrible she's got on red polyester pants and that tied as a banjo string. And of course, you know, in 72, all of our church people and ladies were long dresses and uh, hair like the church of God, the old time folks. That was so strange to see her there in those red polyester pants and half drunk. But she's on the ground praising God, you know, praise thanking God for saving her, delivering her. And he looks at me and said, Get her up and baptize her. We had a pool he'd brought behind the truck, you know, at your pool. It's about yay yeah, deep, about like our baptistry. He said, get her up and baptize her, Brother Cooper. And I said back to him, ain't going to be no Sunday night service. yet. It's a Sunday evening service. Tomorrow night, Monday, start the night service. I said, let her come back tomorrow night with a dress. <laughs> I'm, my tradition, you know, was speaking. Yes, sir. And he looked at me real funny and scolded me kind of loud. He said, baptize her now. And I got her up, got her over there to the baptistry, and the speaker was right there above the baptistry in the tent. So I motioned for a guy in the front row to help me, and he got up there to help me. We stepped her over in the pool, you know, explaining to her what's going on, water baptism. You got saved on the ground. You got the devil out of you. You're sober now, even though you smell terrible, but you're sober. (laughs) And we're going to baptize her, see? And so uh, we can't hear. And he goes back to preaching wide open. He's a little guy, but he's got a big voice. And he's preaching wide open. That's all the way he knew how to preach. And he went back to preaching. We baptized The Holy Ghost fell under that tent. And they started coming from everywhere. And we was there, I guess, to 4 o'clock that evening. And they, some, somebody said they counted them. And they told me afterwards. I'm 30 years old, say, uh, back in March. And this is July. And uh, we, they said, you baptized 72. Good day's work. First time I ever laid eyes on the preacher that I was already working for. Good job. Faithful servant. So I got caught, I got, I got in on the, I got in in the ninth inning where, you know, you hit a home run and you win the game. You ever seen anything like that? That's why I was introduced to that guy. Worked with him for about six years. Hallelujah. And he told me before he, uh, tip meetings begin to wind down, he got him a church, to pastor a church. And I could see, you know, me and Brother Simmons' ministry is winding up. Where am I going? What, am I, what can I do? I don't know nothing else. I'm good at what I'm doing, leading the service, taking a few offers, not many. Most times somebody else did that. I'm good at preparing the service for him. He said I was the best he ever saw. And uh, paid me $70 a week. Start, that's what I was paid. And all my expenses, you know, bus tickets and motels and food—all that—he took care of all that. So he said to me, as the tent meetings begin to wind down, "What am I? am thinking, what am I going to do? Where am I going? What's next for me?" And he said, Brother Cooper, there's a move on soya, I do see." He said, "There's a move of God coming way beyond what men you've seen in the tents." And he said, "Most likely, I won't see it, Brother Cooper." He said, but you probably will. Good deal. He said, you probably will. He said, just stay faithful. And uh, so uh, that began to wind away. I'm two years trying to find out where do I fit now? What do I do? Where? where what's next? because nothing could substitute for that. I didn't, I, I didn't know if anything could substitute for that or match that. So one day my sister called me, the one that was, I was in her home when I got saved. and also got the baptism of the Holy Ghost in her house in the kitchen about midnight, a few weeks after I was saved. She called me and said, Doug, I found a preacher on the radio. She said, I think you'd like him. Told me what station, what time he come on. I turned it on, and it was Kenneth Copeland. I never heard of him. And I did like him. My spirit did. My spirit liked him. But my head was thinking, oh, he's just a smartly licked Texan because he had so much boldness, you know. He was intimidating me with those teaching lessons of faith. It was intimidating my, my lack of faith. But I, then I began to realize, no, he's not a smartly licked Texan. He's bold. He knows who he is, and I don't know that much. So a few weeks later, she said, I found another preacher you might like. Comes on at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Told me this station. I turned it on. His brother Hagin. Well, he had little mini books that he was giving away. Good thing he was giving away because I didn't, I didn't want to buy them. And he would say, send for my book on faith. Send for my book. Uh, you know, d- different titles. And I began to send for them. they stick it in the shirt pocket. And the Lord spoke to me one day. I, after I began to read after Dad Hagen, he said, you're going to have to unlearn some things. In other words, all we heard in those tent days wasn't exactly like what Brother Copeland and Brother Hagen was preaching. And it wasn't bad doctrine, don't get me wrong. But those tent meetings didn't have the spirit of faith and revelation that Dad Hagen or Brother Copeland had. And I saw my life t- changing. So, it slowly began to change. And then, before you know it, I'm meeting people like Greg Mayhorn. I asked God for a church. We need a pastor. He led us to Kentucky to sign up, you know, on their brother, Pastor Greg, join him. 1987, we've been joined ever since. But the best is still yet to come. Can you say amen? For us individually... And for ministers and ministries, I tell you, i I I see some I see me I I see a move of God right out in front of us that does the works exactly the way Jesus did them. And it's and, and we and we're going to be able to do it. We're going to be able to move into a place where we can minister just like Jesus did. He's coming after a glorious church. So let me give you this charge, and then I'll lead you in a confession. Singers don't have to come back tonight. I'm just going to lead us in a confession to go in that way. Let me give you this charge. It'll help you a lot. Go online uh, with your computer, your phone, and to when you've got time, You might do it tonight before you go to bed if you want to, or be sure you do it before we get back here Sunday. Go online and type in Longmont Prophecy, Kenneth E. Hagen October 1, 1974. Write that down. Actually, you don't have to put October 1, 1974. You just put Longmont, that's Longmont, Colorado, where he was. October 1, 1974. Go online and type in Kennedy Hagen prophecy October uh, Longmont prophecy, and you'll see how God described this day we're living right now. So clearly, so so clearly, I can almost quote the prophecy. It's three pages long. I guess I've read it close to a hundred times. And it starts out like this: No, the time of the end is not yet. No, America is not doomed. No, judgment will not fall on America. After the church age, the judgment will fall. But the only judgment that the church will see is the judgment seat of Christ. The church will not see the great ju- judgment of tribulation or the judgment of the enemy because it's protected by the blood. And by the Savior, the Redeemer. So there's much work yet to be done, says the Lord. There's a renewal, of what you call, talking about the church and people, what you call the charismatic renewal. And there's much mi- missionary work to be done. And there's a man who has risen and is on the scene now that I will use because his heart is turned toward me and his heart is turned toward the things of God. And he will step in place and be at the head, and many shall follow him. Because the nation, as it were, has been cut down to the roots, almost destroyed. But I will use this man, and many of, much of that shall be repaired. Because the fowls of the air and the wild birds of the air, that means demon spirits, have come and roosted in its branches. And I wrote out there in my own handwriting, Branches of government. Have, have they not lodged in the branches of government? Have they not, are they not sitting there tonight? Can you say amen? And he said, uh, and there's much yet to be done in the church. There's two great things that will happen before my coming. I'm not coming after a weak, emaciated, sickly church that's underground and hiding. I'm coming after the spiritual giant that is alive and doing the works of Jesus. So put your rapture suitcase up. He ain't coming right now. (laughs) He's coming after a spiritual giant that's alive and doing the works of Jesus. And he said two things will shortly be made manifest. One is for the light and revelation on the supernatural in divine healing. Because divine healing is the children's bread, and it's the dinner bell to wake up people to come to the table. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Okay? And he said the second one, the second thing will be the spirit of faith that will ignite like dynamite the power of God to break chains off of people. That's a gift of faith, not just real natural, everyday faith you have in the Bible or in God. The gift of faith, the gift of spiritual faith. Will come into manifestation in the supernatural realm concerning the working of miracles and things of this nature. And uh, every time I read that, I think about about all of our prisoners, you know, uh, not prisoners, but our soldiers, that their legs have been blown off, you know, and some of the arms have been blown off, and they lay in a big old something like a riding lawnmower, and they're pumping this thing with uh, bars for legs. You've seen them. All of our soldiers, you know, they got these metal bars and they they get around and and they pump this thing, pedal this thing. And it's kind of like what you see in something like what you see in Kroger's where people ride around and get their food. And every time I read that, I think of these soldiers. God's going to give some of them legs back. They can go to bed with their uh, legs as a steel bar and wake up the next morning with full legs. There was a man in Wigglesworth meeting and I got to go. I mean I mean about ready to go, but I feel a dead yeah, kind of sonic ass. I feel a deep knowing and a deep challenge and a stir in your heart to move and want to see these things. Is that right? Do you want to see these things? Yeah. Wigglesworth was having a meeting and a man had a, a peg leg. his leg was off from about here down, no foot. that's what we call a peg leg. and he was in Wigglesworth's prayer line. And Willsworth told him, he said, uh, tomorrow go buy yourself a pair of shoes. Go to the shoe store, buy yourself a pair of shoes. Well, he went to town the next day, still had his pegged leg and one shoe, a good foot. And he went in, a young boy said, can I help you? And he said, yes, sir, I want a pair of shoes. He said, what size? And he said, nine and a half, black. And then he looked down at him, and he saw that pegged leg, you know, and he said, are you kidding me? What, what, what is this? Are you kidding me? And the guy said, no, sir. He said, I want a pair of black shoes, nine and a half. And, and the fella looked at him, the young man looked at him. He said, that's ridiculous. He didn't want to go get them. That's ridiculous. They don't need bringing you out a pair of shoes. Peg leg. And the fellow said, go get me a pair of shoes, nine and a half, black. So he went back there and got them. And the fellow sat down on the little stool like we do, you know, to try on the shoes. And he took the other shoe off that he would come in there with. And he tried on that one. It fit. And he takes this other shoe. And he's sitting there. And uh, he puts the shoe down there like that. And when he gets the shoe down there, here comes this foot out and this leg out. Went right up, He just stuck it right in the shoe. That's a true story. And the guy standing there, you know, with his mouth open, he don't know what to do. He saw a foot grow out and he put it on and he walked away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that preacher that said to me, I know a preacher that's looking for you, a prophet of God. He said to me later, many years later, in fact, we would always have a July the 4th big tent meeting in Fort Payne, Alabama, Lookout Mountain big tent. Seat about 10,000. So I'd go. In fact, I lived there two years at that time. I lived there in 73, 74, and 75, and I wasn't but 37 miles from the tent. So I was on the platform just about every night. And uh, 4th of July, 1974, and he's singing. He plays the guitar and sings songs before he preaches. Sets in the chair, plays, the, you know, not electric guitar, uh, you know, flat-top guitar, like a Bluegrass style. He's sitting there singing a the song. I've heard him sing a hundred times. And he stops right in the middle of the song. I'm two rows behind him on the platform. And he turned around and looked right at me. And he, but, but, but before he turned around, he stopped playing his guitar. And he said, there's a lightheaded man. That's blonde, you know, lightheaded. Said, there's a lightheaded man that God is going to use in the last days in a mighty way. And he turned around and looked right at me and the other well, preachers around me, and he said, And his eyes, this is what he said, and his eyes, and he stopped right there in that sentence. Never went no further. I don't know what he was going to say. I wanted to be bold enough to ask him after the meeting's over, what, What's the next sentence? And his eyes, he said. And he was looking right at me. And then in another meeting, uh, he was talking about the move of the Spirit. Some preachers know a little bit about it. Some preachers don't know nothing about it. Some preachers understand some of the gifts. Some preachers don't have no knowledge of it at all. And he had some well-known preachers sitting on the platform, you know, that supported him in other states, had churches he'd preach in. And I'm just a little nobody. I don't have anything to offer him. I just go to meetings and give an offering, what I can do and, uh, you know, get back home. So he turned around one night, and he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, how to flow with the Holy Ghost, how to know what to do, how to listen to God, how to move in the Spirit, and things like this. That's what he's talking about. And man, he knew it. And until I found, out, found Dad Hagan, I never saw nobody knew it better. And he said, he turned around and looked at me, pointed at me, and he said, uh, this young man here said he sees brighter than any of you preachers. He sees, he's he better than any of you preachers. Well I knew it wasn't natural sight. It had to be spiritual sight, discernment. And uh, that didn't set too good with him. I noticed how they just didn't kind of shun me the rest of the meeting. You know So another meeting we was in uh, in Mobile, and uh, he turned around, and poked me in the chest like this with his finger, and he said, "Where's your next meeting?" I said, I'm going back to Wilmington. Well, that's 1972 when I was in Wilmington, first time. I said, I'm going up to Wilmington, North Carolina, to preach in the, in the National Guard Army. And he said, uh, good, good, good. He said, I'm taking this big tent to Charlotte, to the Mecklenburg uh, Fireground, Charlotte. I said, yeah, I saw it in your magazine. May 1974, he took that big tent to Charlotte. And PTL told all their audience to not go. And uh, so by telling them to not go, they just thought, why don't they want us to go? So more came for curiosity's sake. So in 1974, I'm just telling you how, the, how God moves, how God speaks, how, what a prophet is like. So in 1974, and that tent a night or two later, uh, I, he had heard, you know, that the PTL announced to their audience, don't go to this 10th fireground." So one night the Holy Ghost came on him and he said, if I be a prophet of God... PTL will fall and said so the whole world, the whole Christian world will hear it fall. Said so don't matter how big the giant is. when the bigger he is, the more noise he makes when he falls. Ten years later in 84, PTL fell. The whole world heard it. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> Of course, God is a God of restoration and healing. So he tried to heal and restore everything he could, every way he could. Amen? God is a good God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those same two preachers that spoke to me in 72, they were in the Rivergate Auditorium in New Orleans. I believe that's where it was. And one of them was catching a plane to Chicago, from Chicago to Canada. So uh, he he already had his flight, already, you know, got got to leave early in the morning, catch a plane to Chicago, go on to Canada. And so this other preacher, his buddy, the prophet, he called his room and he said, are you flying to Chicago on such and such airline? He said, yeah. He said, I was praying at 4.30 this morning, I saw that airline, I even saw the tail number, you know, of the plane. And he said, don't take, take that plane. I saw it go down in a cornfield in Indiana. Everybody was killed. So he changed planes and went, you know, another route. And that plane crashed in, in a field in Indiana. 176 people killed. He said one time, he said, can some of these things be stopped? He said, I think so. If we had proper intercessors... And he said, some probably can't be stopped. God, only God knows what could be stopped, what couldn't be stopped. And, of course, back in the end, those days, we didn't know much about intercession and how to bind and how to loose and how to stop and so on and so forth. So then another pro- uh, prophecy concerning Guatemala, uh, Dutch Sheets was there. With his team, and he flew into Guatemala, and he was trying to get out to go to a little, another little island, and it, he couldn't get the aircraft people to serve him, and they wrangled with him all day, almost all day, way up in the afternoon, to try to get them to fly them to this uh, other place in Guatemala to minister, Dutch Sheets and his team. And he had an intercessor back here in Ohio somewhere that night before. She saw an earthquake happen in Guatemala, and she prayed for Dutch. So for the evening was over, somebody agreed to take a little plane and fly him out there. Well, this prophet, he had a ministry down there. He had, uh, 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 years before, he had a, a place to feed children, and he had... Uh, Motor homes for people to live in from the states. One night the Lord spoke to him and said, there's an earthquake coming to Guatemala. 30,000 will be killed. He said, get all your stuff and get back to America. And uh, they left. And uh, the earthquake come. 1976, I believe it was. I may not be right on a year. The earthquake come, 30,000 in one night. The night they got their sheets out of there to the other part of the island. 30,000. Hallelujah. Do we know more, si host, Do we need things like that today? Do we need a seer in the church today? Mm-hmm. Me say, ha, hallelujah. Glory be to God. How many believe we need seers in the church today that can warn us ahead of time? I know two prophets beside myself have decreed and declared that gas is coming down, 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 down. I wish I knew the week of the month so I could tell you and we'd get excited about it. But I don't know the week of the month. But two more prophets have said gas is coming down, 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 down. And it will come down. And sooner the better for us. <laughs> hey, glory to God. So let's stand and let's make this confession. Psalms 19 and verse 14. Psalms chapter 19 and verse 14. Thank you, Brother Green. We didn't get through it, did we? But I didn't know we was going all in this direction. Praise God. Is this, good? Is this okay with everybody? How many, how many is okay? I mean, we're quiet as we, if we was at a funeral. <laughs> but this is solemn, I guess, in some ways. But uh, thank God for the spirit of seeing and knowing. And uh, so Psalms 19 and 14 goes like this. Let the words of my mouth, say it with me. Let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my mind be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's go over it again. Let the words of my mouth, say it, and the thoughts of my mind be be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, Lord. my strength strength. and my Redeemer. Redeemer. To show you, and we'll go, but I I need to introduce this and say this to you. To show you how the Lord started me on the journey of seeing and knowing was in in the late 60s. I was in a prayer meeting in a house. My father-in-law was preaching, and I was saying for him. I didn't know anybody except him and my mother-in-law and, of course, my children was with me i didn't know the house people never been there before and they had him to preach because they figured that they may get some of the folks in the household saved that wouldn't go to church that's why they had him over there so i knew he would give an altar call and uh, actually preach you know he put two chairs up front in the floor uh, that they brought in from the kitchen for people to set in as well as the living room chairs and i knew he set these two chairs out for them to use for an altar if anybody came so I'm sitting there listening to him preach, and uh, I know he'll have me back to sing an altar call song, you know, like just as I am without one plea, something like that. And uh, I'm sitting there, and the Lord said, when you get back up there, tell the folks as a sign, it's just a sign, sign and a wonder, tell the folks if I speak through you by the Spirit, if you're a seer, tell the folks that Nikita Khrushchev will be dead in 30 days. So I got back up on the floor and sung the song, and I said, can I say this before God?" go? And he said, yeah. I said, this is, this is what God already knows. He's just telling me, I'm telling you, like a radio. Nikita Khrushchev will be dead in 30 days. He died on the 28th day. And uh, the Lord said, now that's a start, a sign, a start, that I can show you world events or just individual events pertaining to just individual people. I can show you breakthroughs for people financially. I can show you how to break, a person can get, get a breakthrough believing God for something. Of course, that happened. You know, that's the way I got the truck. Um, a guy got a million dollar breakthrough because we pray and prophesied that he would have it. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we ought to be more excited about it instead of just so solemn about it. Don't be afraid. You know, God's not going to hurt nobody. He's not going to harm nobody. He's going to help everybody that he can. Can you say amen? Amen. He's out to help us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray so that you'll stick and stand and cast. Let's submit to you, so that you'll stand and cast, and you'll cast and the more she pecks, party capa, so paline, then the seller will be on the All that's so So the days ahead, the days that you're walking in, day by day, and it's always now when you get up. It'll be another now, another now, another now, as you walk day by day. Would your heart turn to me, as the word have already said? I'll make you strong in the things of God. I'll bring you deep peace in the middle of the night. I'll cause you to overcome things that has bothered you and you would never, have never been able to overcome. But they'll just fall off of you like snow melting because of the anointing and you're drawing nigh to me. Because I've said to you in my word, he that believeth shall be. Shall be. He didn't believe it shall be saved. He believe it shall be healed, and, and and on and on and on. And I've said to you that in my word that if your heart desires to draw nigh to me, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. And blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Won't that be something when we get filled with rightness and righteousness because we hungered and thirst for it. And he that cometh to me must believe that I am, and that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. So I want to reward you for your seeking, for your hunger, for your reaching out. When you reach out, I'll reach back. (laughs) And one visitation, one encounter, change your life forever. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. So go seek, and So keep searching, keep knocking, and keep asking, because he that asks receives, he that seeks finds, he that knocks it shall be opened. And beautiful, bright, glorious, marvelous days are ahead for this church, and for this nation. Yes, streets will be filled again with people shouting and dancing and worshiping and praising God everywhere. All across America, school grounds, playgrounds with children, hugging and laughing and dancing and praising and not even know all what it's all about. All ages, college ages, high school, people everywhere worshiping God because God has given America a breakthrough. God has given America a turnaround. (laughs) Can you say amen? you believe it's coming? You believe God's at work? hallelujah I do too the best is yet to come god bless you I'm, I'm, I'm.